Thank you, Aaron. What a great presence of Jesus here today. Would you agree with me? Amen. Well, what happened really is that Aaron didn't invite me to come. I invited myself. But we, uh, my wife Sue and Vina, got in a conversation. It'd be kind of nice to take a nice little vacay over to the over to Hawaii, over to the island, and. Uh, and they came up with a scheme of taking a one-week little trip over here in October, which kind of fit our schedule. And, and I said, great, but if we, we do that, I can't ignore Kauai. I can't be in the neighborhood uh, where Shannon and, and Aaron are right within reach and not let them know that we are here. And so I just said, hey, we're here. We'd love to come over and see you. And even if you didn't ask me to preach, uh, we would have come over and seen him and seeing Shannon, because we love their family, and we're family. And uh, he did graciously say, well, you probably should preach if you're going to come, you know, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't with great enthusiasm, but we'll, I'll take what I can get these days. It is October, and we're celebrating October birthdays today, right? Yes, we are. are we still doing that? Yeah, yeah, sure. See, mine's tomorrow. My birthday's tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, that's it. I'm 69 years old tomorrow. This is my last day being 68. You don't want a day over 66. I know, I know, I know. It's good, it's good. And then Vina's birthday, what was your birthday, Vina? It was last week. Does it have a, like a day? 17th, all right. Okay. Hers on the 17th. So we got some October baby guests here today. But it's so good to be with you in the house of God. Uh, I have walked uh, uh, in the gospel with Aaron and Shannon for 15 years. We were kind of doing a little calculating yesterday. They came to our church 15 years ago. Aaron was not in a good place in the sense that it wasn't that he was serving Jesus. He was serving Jesus with an abandonment. But he had gotten beat up and hit some walls, went through a death of a vision with a great ministry he had in dealing with suicide prevention in schools. He came out of a youth ministry background and uh, and uh, some doors got radically shut, and uh, he was hurt, and he was trying to redefine himself and uh, try to make it once again up in the Northwest, speaking to schools, uh, dealing with depression and bullying and, and suicide and some of those crucial issues that face teens. And he was doing a great job. It was hand-to-mouth existence, and uh, it was tough. And uh, they landed in our church, and we just saw greatness in them, and and uh, spent time, encouraged them, and fanned the gift, and eventually he came on staff. He, that he was our outreach pastor, and he basically he was our resident evangelist. So it's not a shock to me that he was sharing Jesus with uh, somebody who was looking for his zodiac sign. I'm a Scorpio myself. No, but no, it's okay. But uh, what, what a curse. You know, I, I liked this girl in high school. It wasn't my wife. I mean, I hadn't dated her yet. Once I dated Sue, there was no other woman. But... Uh, but, uh, but she found out what month I was born. She goes, well, you're a Scorpio, and I'm a Leo. I, we, can't, we can't relate. Well, why can't we relate? Well, because they, they don't get along. Well, we could try. <laughs> we could try to get along. No, no, it's just we're doomed. Okay, okay. A little faith. Can you have a little chance maybe to be a little open-minded about what could happen in this relationship? No, we're done. We're done. Aren't you glad that we are people who have had our eyes open to the truth of, of Jesus, and, and he is the way and the truth and the life. And it doesn't matter when you're born or, or what some of the factors are. God can put anything together, anyone together. Amen. 
I want to, I, I appreciated the music today. I don't know if Aaron knew a little bit about what I was going to be speaking on, but probably more to the latter part of the week. And uh, I, I appreciated the emphasis of the songs today because it's on my heart to talk to you about the cross life. You know, I'm not going to give you, a, you know, get up and get going and repent and reach the island. I'm not going to give you a mission call today. I'm going to teach a little bit about your benefits of what it is to be a, a believer, a follower of Jesus. And I want to talk about the cross life. And, and uh, we, we can focus on many things as believers. And I, I was, you know, back in the bathroom. I like that, like that you advertise things in the bathroom because I, I learn a lot because I spend a lot of time in the bathroom. And uh, I learn a lot when people do that. I, I get an education and get relief at the same time. But uh, you got an evangelism thing coming up on November 10th, and that's always exciting. And I, I just want to challenge you uh, to cross the chicken line. And, uh, you know, how do you become a good evangelist? you got to cross the chicken line. And uh, John Wayne defined courage as shaking in your saddle but charging forward anyway on your horse. And uh, don't let fear, uh, you know, limit you. You'll be, you'll be excited when you step out in faith and something happens. Also want to encourage you, though, that the most effective evangelism, and, and I've done a lot of street evangelism in my time, but the most effective evangelism is friendship evangelism. Well, I'm going I'm to tie it to what we call redemptive relationships, that you, that you have a relationship with somebody. They could be Buddhist, Hindu, atheist. They could be hyper-liberal. They can be deceived all over the place. They can be transgender. They could be gay. They could be a communist. They could, they could be a terrorist, all right? Okay, well, don't go that far. But uh, no, but Jesus loves sinners. Can I hear an amen on that? We think he only loves some sinners. He loves all sinners. Bible says he saves in the old King Jimmy version. He intercedes for us, and he saves us to the uttermost. Basically, he saves us to the guttermost. And, uh, and he loves people. And the way people experience that love is by you loving them. And they can't experience that. You can't, you, you can't just love them in your heart. you got to love them in relationship. And through that, hearts are opened up. And I challenge you to give some real raw sinners as friends, and uh, they may... You know, they may mess up your house. They may, you know, they may say things that offend you. They may be cantankerous. I'm cantankerous. I've been a Christian for over 40 years. But, uh, okay, they may be a lot of things, but Jesus loves them. And it's hard for us to really understand how much Jesus really does love sinners. He, he loves them deeply. We think he, he just loves them somewhat. No, he's radical about it. He died for them even while they were sinning. So we can focus on many things as believers uh, as the keys to becoming the people God wants us to be. For instance, we can focus on developing spiritual disciplines. Sharing your faith is a spiritual discipline. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. Meditating on scripture is a spiritual discipline. All these things, morning devotions, a, a, a spiritual discipline. We think, well, that's what I want to focus on. That is good. Or being involved in local church life. Like, I love the trunk or treat. My wife was telling me that my daughter and her husband, who passed her in Los Angeles, they're doing it this week or doing it tonight or doing it on my birthday or doing something. It's always a bummer being born the day before Halloween. No one wants to give me anything good to eat. They're all saving up to give it to kids knocking on the door. But. It could be giving yourself to, to ministry, fulfilling your ministry that God gives you and, and, and using the gifts God's given you, both naturally and the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to minister and to serve others. It can be submitting to God's correction. I mean, he's, he's changing me by his word. He's, the Spirit's correcting me. Others, 
You know, God can change us through others. Have you noticed that? Uh, you're not, that I didn't get a big amen out of that. Okay, but, 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 but people see things in you that you don't see in yourself. We are a little bit self-deceived naturally. Now, you, you say, well, I'm not. Well, just let me spend some time with you, and I'll reveal it to you. But, uh, but so we, we others can point out some things where we could change, and we can adjust, and we can do better, or doing works of love towards members in the church or members in the community that we're serving or sharing the gospel and defending the faith and all those wonderful things. And they're all good. These are all good and necessary things. But in doing these things, I want to make a statement here. We can lose the focus of the cross. And we can begin, whether we realize it or not, we can begin to rely on our own abilities and we can rely on our, our own righteousness or our own efforts or our own works. And in doing so, we can become, without even knowing that we are, it's like the frog in the kettle type of thing, we can become arrogant and we can become self-sufficient and we, we can, we can kind of lose the, the voice of God in our lives because we're so busy doing all these good things, and we forget about this thing, this truth, that's the central truth of Christianity, and that's the cross. And Jesus warned us about this in the parable of, of the publican and, and the tax collector. Excuse me, not the, he was the tax collector, but the Pharisee and the tax collector. In Matthew and Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, I'll just read it to you. If you have your Bible, your smartphone, you can take it out. I'm reading it, I'm reading it out of the NIV here. To some who are confident of their own righteousness. You know, I could be like, man, I pray every day. I pray an hour a day. I read three chapters of the Bible a day. I fast once a week. I give to the church. I go on a short-term mission trip every year. I love to worship. I got my Maverick City worship. My, my you know, I, I got my elevate, elevation worship. I got it all down pat. I, I, I'm doing it all, baby. I'm doing it all. We can start just looking at that. And Jesus said he, that we can become confident in our own righteousness. And we can look down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. <clears throat> One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. <clears throat> tax collectors have never been popular in any culture. And all those who love the IRS can say amen. Okay. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. This is an interesting prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Now, I, I don't think I've ever prayed that prayer. But the potential's there. <clears throat> I'm not like other men. I'm not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even like this tax collector over here. Okay, I'm not like these guys. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I got. But the tax collector stood at a distance in his humility and his brokenness and his awareness of how, his, his, how marred he was and how far he fell short. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast in repentance and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's all he said. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Now, that's a powerful statement by Jesus. I, I trust the things Jesus said. How about you? you know, I think I'm on good ground here because Jesus said this. The guy that said, I, 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 oh, I can't even, I'm not even worthy to be in this building today, but if you have it in you to show me mercy, I'm praying for mercy. That guy, 
left righteous before God. That tells me that posture has to be constant in my life throughout my whole journey of walking in faith. There's a, you can see it on YouTube. You can probably find it on Instagram. It's uh, Alistair, Alistair Begg. Is it Begg? Is that his last name? He's, he's a reformed teacher. He, talks, he does a, a little sermon called The Man in the Middle or The, or the Man in the Middle Cross. And he does this whole thing about how we so much talk about ourselves and our relationship with God in first person. I'm going to get to heaven because I believe and I repented and I got baptized and I got dug into the word and I followed Jesus. It's I versus being upon the third person. I'm, I'm here because of him. And he talked about how, how did it go with the guy in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the cross between the two thieves. I mean, here he was. He was cursing Jesus at one moment. It says that, that both of them were actually giving Jesus a bad time. But somehow this guy had a shift. And he said, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And, of course, we know the words of Jesus. Today you will join me in paradise with me. Can you imagine? He does this whole thing. How did this guy get here? So he does this whole skit where an angel greets this guy. And he goes, well, how did, how did you get Well, how did you get here? Well, I, I'm here. I, I, I just, I'm here. And he goes, you know, do, do you know what justification by faith is? No, I never heard of it before. Have you been baptized? No, I haven't been baptized. Have you done this? No, I don't. No. Do you believe in the inspiration of the Bible? I, I don't know. I didn't even thought about that before. And, well, how did you get here? The man on the cross in the middle said I could come. Now that kind of erases everything that I've done in my life as a believer in Jesus. I get to heaven because the guy on the cross in the middle said I could get there. That changes my whole way I approach God. I approach people. John Wesley who a great reformer in the 18th century, and his, pre- his preaching was incredible in the sense that he had such mass revivals. Uh, his- historians believe his revivals saved England from going through the same revolution, the reign of terror that France was going through across the English Channel because so many poor people were radically changed and, and uh, had a revival in their heart and character was built and they prospered in life. And he, he basically started developing a middle class in England just out of just good Christian ethics that were being produced. But Methodism means that it had a method. They had methods of spiritual disciplines. And uh, Wesley became very concerned in his movement that they were doing so well in their spiritual disciplines that they, he was feared that they would forget that they became righteous with a relationship with God by the merits of Christ, not by their own merits. We can get so good at church and so good as a Christian and so good at disciplining things that we, that we lose sight of the cross. And here's behind that. The devil's behind that. The devil can obscure the cross, even with good things. In my life and in your life. I came from a a great church that we spent 15 years at before uh, we started our church, City Harvest Church, some 26 plus years ago. And uh, it was a church of great teaching, great character, world-renowned, birth of the the fellowship of pastors globally that I'm the vice chairman of called Ministers Fellowship International. 
But uh, we were into principles and truth. And I, I was preaching one time. I was kind of the youngest guy on the ladder of preaching. So I got a, they let me up there a couple times a year to preach. And, and I was mentioning Jesus and talking about Jesus. And if somehow in this sermon I talked a lot about him. And after I was done, a, a lady in our church came to me. And she said, Father, it's just so refreshing just to hear the name Jesus. You know, sometimes we can preach ourselves, not Christ. Sometimes we can preach our local church, not Christ. I believe in the local church. I, I spent my whole life serving the local church. I build the local church. I've planted churches. I coach pastors on building churches. I believe this is the instrument God will use. But, man, our focus and our vocabulary has to be centered around the person called Jesus. Amen. The devil can obscure the cross in every one of our lives. If we can get our eyes off the cross, what begins to happen, we begin to trust in our own efforts, what we do, versus what Jesus did for us. We get, we get our eyes off the cross, we start developing rules. Sometimes we package them different, like in phrases like policies, values. We can start putting them all together, and we can lose sight of deepening our relationship with Jesus in a way that in that relationship we begin to please him. Keeping rules and pleasing God are not the same thing. You can keep rules and have no relationship with God. We lose, we, we, we lose things Jesus provided for us. Things like we lose the foundation of our righteousness. How did I become righteous before God? How did you become righteous before God? We lose the power of God. You know, the cross speaks of weakness. The weakness of Jesus dying, uh, a death <clears throat> that was the death of a condemned criminal. He died by a, cr a condemned criminal execution in Roman society. That's the sign of the cross. He died in the electric chair. He died with lethal injection. I know my wife tells me, oh, I just hate this example. You do all the time. But it's true. We wear crosses as jewelry. But in the culture of that day, that would not be a good thing to be wearing for a piece of jewelry. It would be like you and I wearing a necklace with a lethal needle at the bottom of it. Or earrings with gas chambers, okay, uh, laying out of our earlobes. That's what it would be like to use a cross as a piece of, of jewelry or an emblem. But he died in weakness. He died by an execution of a criminal so that in our human weakness, we could be saved. But in that weakness, when Jesus was weak and when we're weak, we come to the end of ourselves and we just, we got to be saved. We can't save ourselves. It gives God the opportunity to display his power by forgiving us and changing our nature inside of us. He can do something that, wow, it was a platform for God just to show himself powerful. Now, Shannon, she grew up a nice church girl, okay, just a nice little church girl. Aaron, kind of a kid on the streets, and he was pretty wigged out on drugs and messed up in the streets of San Diego, and, and uh, he couldn't even keep his college football scholarship. He was so messed up and ended up in jail and gave his life to Jesus. You know, it's classic, but this is what his weakness became the platform to God to show his power. The cross is so important. Keeping rules doesn't do that. We lose, we lose sight 
when we, when we get our eyes off the cross of the transforming grace of God in our life, this transforming us. We're being changed as we sang today. We, and I did not know we were singing that song. We get changed from the inside out. We're being changed, not from the outside in. Here's all the rules to keep and it will change you. But I'm changed on the inside and I began to live a life that's pleasing to God. You know, we, 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 we try to keep rules to keep our righteousness intact. And as I said, keeping rules doesn't necessarily mean you're pleasing God. You know, my wife and I were in Istanbul, Turkey, and we went to an old, old basilica. It's one of the oldest in all of Christianity. It's called the Hagia Sophia. And uh, the, the Muslims, of course, took over what was known as Constantinople in 1215. And they, of course, they turned the whole city into Istanbul and, and into a Muslim city and the Hagia Sophia into a mosque. So we went in there. There's still Christian symbols in there that they can't take away. And it's, it goes all the way back to like the 4th century, this basilica. I mean, it's, it's, it is an early ancient Christian church building. But it's a mosque. And when you go into a mosque, you can't have your shoes on. And, I, and it was wintertime, and I took my boots off. And I laid him on a step like this, and like the toe of my boot was touching that, like, top of the, you know, the, the last step, just a little bit. And, man, this guy who was like a moral, you know, referee, a moral inspector, he comes to me, and he points that out with great judgment and great wrath, that the tip of my boot was touching the top of this step with all these other boots and shoes around. I was trying to respect and take my shoes off, but man, he, he was keeping the rule. Of course, keeping the rule wasn't reflecting Christ. Keeping the rule wasn't really obeying even the moral law of God to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, he got into keeping rules. Keeping rules is not necessarily obedience out of the context of relationship. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, one of my favorite verses. Here it is. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just that alone. Boast. What are you all about? I'm about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's not what I should. I shouldn't be boasting. What are you about? Well, I, I help pastors globally. That's who I am. No, no, no. That's not my boast. My boast is I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that I'm a minister you know, I am a minister, a reverend, a pastor. You can call me Pastor Bob. Okay, and that's not my boast. My boast is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Through which the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. <clears throat> and neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, of course, little trivia rules, means anything. What counts is the new creation, that my heart's being changed. Now, in Galatians, Paul is very angry. If you're reading Galatians, you shouldn't read it as this comforting book. The book wasn't meant to be written. It was not written with a heart to comfort the Galatians. Paul was ticked off at the Galatians because they got, they got seduced into thinking something that was completely false. The great church you know, father, Jerome, who translated the, from the Greek into the Latin Bible, he said when Paul was writing this letter, you could hear thunder. This is how ticked off Paul was. He's angry. Because Judaizers, Jews who, who came in who were believers, they influenced Gentile believers to believe that they were not saved 
unless they kept, in this case, the Mosaic Law. But let's just take the Mosaic Law. You're not saved unless you keep these rules. You're not sanctified unless you keep these rules. You're not mature in Christ unless you keep these rules. Let's, let's put anything in there that we want to put in there. For Paul, keeping the, the law did not mean anything. He says that. Now, why? Because all the law did was expose you and me. It, it, was, it wasn't that the law was bad. He, he clarifies you know, his statement on this, is that when it comes to your relationship with the law, the law really was a pretty bad husband. All he did was point out where you fell short as a bride. Okay, all it did was expose us. That's all it did. It didn't do anything else. And then it condemned us. Didn't mean anything. It didn't free us from the guilt of sin. Come on. It didn't, it didn't take away our bent to sin in our lives. Okay, it only, <clears throat> that was only accomplished. The guilt of sin being taken away and the inclination to sin in my own heart was taken away by what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's the only way those things are taken away. But he makes a, a, an interesting statement here, what I just read. He, he alludes to this, and he alludes to this throughout his, his letters. In, in the crucifixion of Jesus, there are actually three crucifixions. There's, the cruci there's Jesus dying for us, the crucifixion of Jesus. But the second crucifixion is the crucifixion of the world. He says it right here. He says, may I never boast in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ who was the world has been crucified. The world has been crucified to me. The world is crucified. When he's talking about, he's talking about the world's still here. We still got the oceans, the beauty of Kauai and everything else. He's talking about the systems, the values, the philosophies, the bent of the human race in the world. That was crucified on the cross. Well, how was it crucified? Because it seems like man just keeps moving on in history and he keeps doing evil and evil. God was making a statement. A lot of people say the cross is a symbol of the, of the love of God. It is a symbol of the wrath of God. It was the wrath of God and his judgment against the world system. You are done. My wrath is upon you. Just like he flooded the earth, <coughs> just like he scattered them at Babel, he judged the world at the cross. I condemn the world. Well, how do they get out of that condemnation? They cling to Jesus. Okay, That's how they get out of that situation. But I condemn the world on the cross. It was God's statement against sin. The world's been crucified to you and I. We're looking at a crucified culture, a culture that has the wrath of God upon it. But the third crucifixion on the cross is us. In our identity with, with, uh, with Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord, believing in what he's done, we were crucified on that cross with him. He, he was being crucified in my place and crucified in your place. We were crucified on that cross. Now we have become inhabited by his spirit and we don't have, to, we don't have a drive to sin. Now, I'm not saying we don't sin, but I, I was a lot different when I was 19 years old. I had a drive and a justification about sinning. Okay, I, I, I made excuses for my sinning. I even thought my sinning was good stuff. Okay, There was something in me that was different than what happened after Jesus took up his presence in my life and I was born again and you were born again. Now we become inhabited by the Spirit. We don't have that drive to sin. We have a drive to please God. 
you're a follower of Jesus, how do you know you're a follower of Jesus? You've got to have a drive to please God from the inside out, not from the outside in. I don't have a drive to keep rules. In fact, I'll be really truthful with you. I, I don't do well with rules. I'd make a good libertarian. <laughs> Just leave me alone. Let me go. I'll be a good citizen. Just leave me alone. 2 Corinthians 11, 2-3, Paul says, I am jealous for you to the Corinthians with a godly jealousy. This is interesting. I'm jealous with a godly jealousy. In other words, they've drifted to something else. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. It's all about him. I, 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 I put you before him, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, remember, Satan wants to obscure the cross. Your minds may somehow be led astray. He's not talking to, to unbelievers. He's talking to a church he planted. That some, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Okay, how did they, how was the cross obscured to them? Well, they started getting into personality worship. I'm a Paul, I'm a Peter, I'm of Apollos. They started getting into, you know, celebrity preachers, and they started getting into, you know, who's the better preacher, and who's got the most goods, and what's the hottest church, and, you know, superlatives and comparatives, and, you know, I like him better. You know, we have all these things, and we tend to do it even today. They had careless liberties. Man, man there's nothing going on with offering meat to idols. You know, it's just nothing. Okay, I'll just eat it in front of somebody that might be tripped up. They, they had liberties. Paul said, you better be careful. Okay, those things are offered to demons. You can't eat at the table of the Lord and eat at the table of demons. They had, they had uh, so much pride, they weren't correcting disobedience and sin in their church. They were, they were taken up with Greek rhetoric. They loved guys that were real smooth talkers and really used the techniques of oratory in those days. And what Paul said, he says, I'm not going to use those techniques. I'm going to come straight forward and tell you about Jesus. I determined for you to know nothing through me except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want you to get focused on the cross. This, has, this sounds simple, but it's got heavy ramifications. They had, they had inflated egos and in being used in the gifts of the Spirit. You fall behind, Paul said, in no spiritual gift. I mean, they, they got themselves away from the cross. Now, why is the cross to be the central focus of the Christian life? And here's the sermon. I'll fly through this. The cross delivers me from the guilt of sin. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus did not have to be offered again and again and again like they had to offer up animals in the Old Testament under the Mosaic system. But he did away with my guilt and your guilt by one offering for all time. I mean, that's amazing. One offering took away your guilt and my guilt for all time. It says, Hebrews 9.26, Otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world if he was part of the Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood. But he wasn't. He was a whole different priesthood. But he has appeared once for, all, the, uh, once for all, at the culmination of the ages, that's where we are now, okay, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. He has dealt with your guilt. He has dealt with my guilt. The cross, second thing why this is so important, is the cross establishes my righteousness before God. 
I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is called the great exchange. He took my guilt. He took your guilt. And in exchange, he gave me and he gave you his righteousness. So you're going to say, well, I, I, am, I am justified before God. I, I'm just if I had never sinned. That's an old phrase. That's kind of, it's true, but it's incomplete. You're not before God just as if you'd never sinned. You are before God as righteous as Jesus. Now, I know you're not. And your pastors know you're not. But when God looks at you, you're as righteous as Jesus. It would be like me going into the bank and I don't have no overdraft protection and I've overdrawn, you know, my bank account by, let's just say, $5,000. And, and I, I go in there and, and I, I have to, I've overdrawn it by $5,000. My accounts are shut down. I can't, even I put money in the bank account or gets deposited, they're going to put it towards that debt. I'm, in, I'm a mess. And I go in there and I, I say, can I talk to, here's my account number and I need to talk with somebody about how I can survive in this scenario. And they say, oh, no, no, your friend Jason Crow came in and he, he made a deposit in your account. He made a deposit in my account. Yeah. <clears throat> he, like how much? Like 5000 Oh, not 5000 He put $500,000 into your account. But I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> you, you're getting the point. See, in your account, Jesus took everything he is, the perfection of righteousness, and he put that in your account. When it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, it means it's an accounting term. It was credited to his account as righteousness. You are never going to be more righteous before God than you are right now. You might experientially be more righteous in your lifestyle, but before God, judicially, you're about as perfect as you can get because he gave you his righteousness. Notice, he took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. The cross. The cross. I think that's a pretty good deal. You know, when my righteousness is something he imputed to me not something that I earned. When my toe touches the carpet of some mosque, it really doesn't mean anything. If I trust that, you know, I made sure I, I didn't bring any germs into the house of God. That's what my trust. I'd rather trust in Jesus giving me his righteousness. It's a much more sure foundation. The third thing is this about the cross. Why so fo we should focus on it. The cross defeated Satan. In Colossians 2, 13 to 15, Paul said this to the Colossians. <clears throat> when you were dead in your sins and, the un and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's a beautiful picture. You're dead. I mean, you thought maybe, you know, I was prom queen. Okay, that, yeah, but you were still dead in your sins. Okay, I was captain of the football team, but you were still dead in your sins. I, ha I owned 10 businesses, but you were still dead in your sins. Okay, you were clueless. You were aloof. You were in bondage. You were heading for eternity separated from God. And you were bound by deception and your own nature. <clears throat> and your heart had not been, been uh, shaped by the presence and the grace of God. When you were in that shape, not even looking for God, God made you alive with Christ. 
He just came. It's like one of those guys, what do they call those discs they put on people, they jolt them back to life, you know. He's just walked, what's that? An ADD? Did I say that right? And he just puts that thing on you. Boom! All right, I got this one. Here's Aaron. Here's Aaron. He's on the streets of San Diego. Boom! I've got a God. Oh, you know, he's, he's, now he's awake. That's, that's the picture. That's the picture. We don't find God. And people, I found Jesus back in 1985. No, you didn't. You were running from him. He found you. No, yeah, you responded. I appreciate that. He appreciates that. But he found you. God made you alive for Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And notice this. He, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Now, Paul uses a metaphor of a business note of debt. Like you had this debt note. Like some of us may have a, a, a promissory note of debt to a bank or something that we have to pay something. Okay. And he, that debt we had with God is we had the debt of death. Because we had broken sin. Now, in our culture, no one's punished for debt. But in other cultures, you were, you were punished for debt. Okay? <laughs> if you had debt and you didn't make up that debt, you, were, you, you had some serious issues. This debt was nailed to the cross. This debt was nailed to the cross. It stood against us and it condemned us that we owe God. We have fallen greatly short. You know, I, I, I knew one time a, a pastor, true story, that I was working with. It was like a hyper overachiever and uh, just went way beyond the grace of God and what he was trying to do. And he was building a building in a, in a mall that he kind of had a multi-use development thing going on. And he was broke and everyone had leveraged their houses and their mortgages in his church. It was just a horrible mess. And he needed to finish this project. And so he borrowed money from the mafia. And it was like the Sopranos. I mean, they came up and the whole thing, the bodyguards, you know, you know, and, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the Mr. Soprano, you know, his name wasn't Soprano, but, you know, they're walking around seeing the projects in the Bay Area. And he said, he said, uh, you know, he called him father. Father, I like this. I like you. I like, I like this project. And we will loan you money. But, you know, just put his arm around him. We, we, we do need to get a life insurance policy on you. You, you understand what I'm saying. And he, he submitted to it. And when he was telling his board, you know, when they were paying bills, the first bill we have to pay is we have to pay this particular group because he hadn't paid, he was going to be dead. Well, that's kind of like the note we have against, with, against us and our indebtedness to God. The wages of sin is what? Death. Paul gives us this picture. But he took it away. He nailed it to the cross. And here's the next picture. Having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He's given us a picture of a defeated army. They were stripped of their armor. They were stripped of their dignity. They were stripped probably down to their loins, their weapons, their armor, their glory. He stripped the enemy. Come here, Satan. I strip you. I strip your tactics. I strip you from your power. I strip you from your claim over the human race. You are stripped. Now give me your neck. I'm going to put you under a chain. I have defeated you in the cross. You know, Satan was defeated. And God claiming you and I forgiven, he was defeated. Completely stripped. Completely conquered. You know, Satan has no more claim on you and I. You may think he does, but he doesn't. He can't bring condemnation, can he? Well, he can try we don't have to allow him, though. 
because God hasn't condemned us. He can't separate me and you from God as adopted children, can he? No, because we are, we are in. Say the person next to you, you're in. You're in. You're, 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 you've been adopted. You have received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry out, Daddy. You know, YWAMers used to drive me nuts. They used to call God Dad. Until one time I was in Kabul, Afghanistan, and this young couple, I mean, they were blonde, fair-skinned, blue-eyed. They stuck out like a sore thumb in Kabul. But they said, Pastor, would you pray for us? We think we're supposed to go way up in these mountains, and I think it was Kazakhstan, and, uh, and we're going to get by mules. We have enough money to get there and to get up in the mountain village to witness to these, this, this village. And they had two little kids. And then we want, you to, we want you to pray with us right now if Jesus wants, they didn't say Jesus, if Dad, if Dad wants us to go. So I prayed, and the Lord spoke to me. They're to go. You know, they, they survived two years up in that mountain village. Started a whole ministry ministering to the people up there. But it was, it was ridiculous. But, but Dad sent them. We want to know if Dad wants us to go. Well, that's, that's called intimacy. He said, well, that's disrespect. He's the father. Well, Abba means daddy, okay? Daddy wants us to go. Well, that's how close they are to God in the intimacy of relationship. He can't keep us from approaching God, and he can't possess us. I think, well, can a, de- can a Christian have a demon? Well, who wants one? They make lousy pets. But he can't attack me, and he can't attack you, and he can't deceive me, and he can't deceive you, and he can discourage me, and he can discourage you. He can fill me with fear, as Shannon was sharing today. He can tempt me. He can harass me. But he can't. But I am God's possession, and you are God's possession. He can't possess me. I belong to him. Now, we, well, why does God let him around? Well, he's on a choke chain, but he lets him around to cause you and I to become the people we're called to be. We'll cover that in a second. The cross frees me and you from the laws, the basis of my salvation, basis of your salvation. Paul said in Romans 7, I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, but the Bible is truth. And the truth so what? Set you what? So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. He's talking about a marriage is not ended unless one of the partners dies. He's dealing with you and I, whether you're male today or female, is we're women in this analogy. Our husband has died. And the husband that has died is the law. There's a great divorce that takes place in Romans 7. So there's a divorce from that. And that, that you might belong to another. We are free from that law because we were crucified on the cross. I don't know if you ever tried to give rules to a dead man. But they don't respond to him really well. Get to church every Sunday. Hey, every Sunday, get to church. They're dead. We died on the cross. That was our husband. It's done. It's been finished. Christ fulfilled the law. Set it aside so we might be saved by faith through grace. He goes, he goes that you might, he goes, but you belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. That's Jesus in order that we might bear fruit for God. Remember, keeping rules doesn't make me become like God. Obeying Jesus, and it's different. It's different than keeping rules. Makes me like God. You say, well, you, you know, we still, do we keep the Ten Commandments? Absolutely. 
but in his power, in his grace. But it goes way beyond that. If you just kind of camp there, you have missed it. What happens if he tells you, like after this course, I want you to go across the street and talk to that neighbor? Well, Lord, no, I'm keeping the rules. I go to church every Sunday. I tithe up, but I don't do that. No, 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 no. This is relationship now. I want you to also do that. Different than just keeping rules. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, that's before Jesus came inside of our lives, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. So we bore fruit to death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit from the inside out, not in the old way of the written code. So the law was a lousy husband. All it could do was condemn us and arouse us to do wrong. Well, why? why? Was it evil? No. When the sign says wet paint, don't touch, what do you want to do? I mean, I left a, what do you mean? Why? Is it really wet? There's the, even in my own born-again state, I, I still kind of react sometimes when you can't do this, you can't do that. I went to our old hometown here last December, and they do this thing called Candy, Candy Lane. Is that what they call it? Candy Lane? What's that? Candy Lane. Candy what? Candy Cane Lane. There we go. Forgot the cane. Well, anyway, all these people have all their stuff in the front yard, and the city has the police there, and the whole community benefits from these private citizens. And those people were out in their front yard, and they had a popcorn machine, and we're going to give popcorn to everybody that was coming down. And there was this health official that was stopping them. You can't do this. And, boy, I'm telling you, my patriotic, constitutional nature just went bananas on this thing. That is their yard that they're making money for this city. Let them have their popcorn. You get out of here. You know, that's, that's how I felt. That's the way I am. That's because I'm still not submitted to Jesus completely. Now, what happens is if we don't have Jesus changing us from the inside out, we are committed to another who's been raised from the dead, then we develop our own morality. Now, if you'll notice something in culture, in culture, we, people have morals, they, but they've developed their own morals. And I found that some people, in many, in many cases, who do not have a relationship with Christ, they create a, more rules after more rules after more rules. And... and uh, my older sister, who actually I love dearly and uh, has kind of an obscure faith in Christ, and I don't know how to kind of break that down for you, but you know, she's one of these guys that has all these, you know, all these rules. And, uh, for instance, you know, like she won't eat salmon because, because uh, they're, they're, they're doing so much salmon for you and I, the whales aren't being fed with salmon. Unless the salmon came from Alaska, that's different. She'll eat the salmon there. And I'm thinking, oh, come on, sis. This is ridiculous. Okay. And then I took her to Dairy Queen, and I, was, I, I love a cherry dip cone. How many people? You wouldn't have Dairy Queen on the island, do you? Man, I need to pray for Kauai. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I, she was in the car with me, and I had a cherry dip cone, and we're driving back to the house, and I'm, I'm just enjoying it. Cherry dip cones right up there with communion. And uh, I'm just... <laughs> Not me. And she goes, you're driving and eating your ice cream cone at the same time? Yeah. I do, I do it all the time. I mean, is, is that something wrong? <laughs> I, I can't eat an ice cream cone? So she, she has all 
these rules. It's very typical of someone who's finding their righteousness in the things that they do. And sometimes ignoring some of the righteousness of things that God wants us to do and to become. We create our own system of righteousness. And we get really legalistic about it. And it happens in society all the time. The cross frees us from the life of living the self-life. The self-life. You know, in our old nature, everything I do from the moment I'm born is really about me. Now, I know I just had two grandsons born this last spring, one in, one in uh, March and one in May. Is that right, sweetheart? April, May? They're about six weeks apart. That's all I know in was spring. Okay, that's good. I have 13 grandchildren. It's just, it's, give me a break. Truman and Reese, that's their name. Good boys. But here's the issue. They're cute, love holding them. We just take pictures and pictures and pictures. Those rascals, from the moment they came out of the womb, life is about them. Now, it doesn't, you don't look like it when they're just cute babies, but it's there. And so everything they do is conforming their environment to them. Just look at how many people have had to potty train. Well, yourself. I know you had to potty train yourself, but... But, you know, you were sitting there, we're all clapping, all these adults are clapping, they're sitting on the toilet, and the kid's just looking at them saying, I'm not going to cooperate. I like the old program better. <laughs> Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Come on, I live by faith in Jesus. What kind of life do you live? I live a faith in Jesus. And I just don't have faith in Jesus. I live in a faith in Jesus, and I really bask on what he has done and his radical love for me. That's the life I live. The life I live is not about me. The life I live is what he has done, and that he loved me so much he did that. And in response to that, I can't get my eyes off what he has done. C.T. Studd said, if Jesus Christ be the Son of God and and he sacrificed his life for us. No sacrifice I can make could be too great for him. There's something of my response to him because he loved me and gave his life for me. My life is lived. Your life should be lived on what he has done for us and overwhelmed by appreciation that that's the faith that we have. We live in the reality that he gave himself for us. And that's going to provoke obedience and devotion. I'm writing you, Corinthians. Because just like the serpent deceived Eve, you'd be drawn away from devotion to Christ because we lose sight of who he is and what he's done for us. We haven't personalized it. I'll never forget, remember the, the song, How Great the Father's Love for Us. You guys know that song? Treasure, I forgot that. This one, the song came out in the early 2000s. I had a little cassette tape. I had, you know, we used to... My, my, my worship department used to burn tapes illegally for me. So I put them in. Remember, I don't keep rules. I follow Jesus. Anyway, no. And I had it in my truck, and I was pulling in. That song was saying, and there's a phrase in that song. And I heard my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. And it brought me, when I heard that in my driveway driving in, it took me back to my salvation. I was taking too much pride in being a church planner, being a leader, being an international traveler, and then my voice was among that crowd. 
saying, crucify him. Away with him. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. That was me. We, we think, well, no, that's not you. No, it was me. And that's why he died. And he said, well, you, that was the old you. But you know, Paul said, Paul never lost sight that he was a sinner saved by grace. He says, the worthy saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, of who I am, not I was, who I am chief. The scars were still there. Some believe the thorn in Paul's flesh really was the memory of all those who were maimed and crippled and, and jailed and martyred and suffered and even who were killed in martyrdom from his hatred towards Christ and the church. And that memory tormented him throughout his whole life. That's one theory. I live by faith in Jesus and what he has done for me. You live by faith in Jesus and what he's done for you. And doing that, we crucify our self-life because it's now about him. The cross reveals to me the wisdom of God. Jews demand signs. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 22 and 24, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, everyone said amen. amen. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now the Greeks, the Greeks loved perfection. They loved perfection and form. They loved perfection and beauty. They loved perfection and wisdom, philosophy. They loved perfection and oratory. They loved perfection. Augustine, one of the great church fathers who... Many years in his life, he was a playboy before he was converted to Christ. He talked about, he was in around the 500s, and so that would be the 6th century, and the, that his father, you know, they used to have these bathhouses, he used to take him to the bathhouses, and he was such a good-looking kid, he'd make him stand up before all the men, look at the beauty of my son and the form of my son. And I know that sounds weird in our culture, but this was the culture of the day. And look at how perfect he is. That was the Greek. The cross is foolishness to the Greeks. The, to the Jew, of course, it's disdaining because only a cursed man would die the type of death, not a righteous man. And yet God chooses that. The lesson is God chooses what is weak and sometimes even contemptible. What would it be like if we had church drafts like we have the NFL draft? Man, who, who, who's Pastor Aaron's first pick, you know? And Kauai Bible Church, their number one draft pick. Oh, they're going to have Sam the Stutterer. How about First Victory Church? Hey, there they are. The woman at the well. Hey. Five husbands. A lot of marriages. A lot of marriages. How about, you know... This first church of this and church of truth or whatever. We want, we want the guy that has anxiety issues right now. Okay. We choose him. Andy the anxious. We want him. He's our first draft pick. Now, God wouldn't choose a team like that. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 teaches. But, we, but put it in that context, it kind of looks at what we look at. You know, today you got number one draft pick in the NFL. Family's all by the TV set. And, you know, my son's going to be a millionaire. It's going to be great. You know, there's, I don't know how long the average guy lasts in the NFL, but it's not real long. Okay, only Tom Brady had all these linemen get beat to daylights and to defend him. Okay, but they don't last long. But, man, we've arrived. We've arrived. When Jesus drafts, 
He chooses a very broken team. Larry the lazy. Mindy the mental ill one. Harold the hard-hearted. That's your number one draft pick. You say, where's your proof on that, Bob? The disciples that Jesus chose. Just look at his draft card. You know, here's the issue. The cross releases the work of grace in my life. Paul said, but he said to me, when Paul had was beaten by a demonic entity and brought him to a place of great weakness, he says, please remove this thorn from me. Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's why God will choose Larry the lazy and Andy the anxious and Andrew the alcoholic. That's why that's, that's his first line of draftees. Paul says this, because for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Now, when's the last time you heard someone say, what are you, what are you rejoicing in these days? I'm rejoicing in my weakness. That's what I'm rejoicing in. It just doesn't fit our culture. We think, you know, we're going to build a great church. We need some big, deep-pocket people. Do you? Sometimes we have big, deep-pocket people who are not digging into the person with the deepest pockets. His name is Jesus. The church's issues is not who, how many wealthy people they got in the church, but how much they got Jesus providing in the church. I delight in weakness. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. Why? Because they just make me so beat up at the end of myself. Because when I'm weak, then I am strong. When I cannot save myself, I throw myself on him. And when I don't know what to do, i got to look to him for wisdom. And when I don't have any strength, i got to call out to him for help. And when I don't have provision, i got to depend on him. You see, here's the issue. The cross reveals to me weakness turned to strength. The cross reveals to me humiliation turned to exaltation. The cross reveals to me the end of myself for, and to create a stage for God to show up. It's the platform that allows God to show up. I love the same verse in the message. Here it is in the message. Because of the extravagance of those revelations. And so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angels did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weaknesses. Now I take limitations in stride. And with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, 
accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. The cross. Now I want to tell you something, because I work with pastors all over the world. They strive to do the opposite of what I just read. We will succeed when we got this in place and this in place and this in place, this in place. So we've only had just the hottest worship leader in the body of Christ. Maybe that would kill your worship. You have good worship here. Sincere, humble, full of grace. Touched me today. Brought an anointing. You think Jesus is impressed with our great talents? Our best to Jesus is like a little four-year-old drawing a picture of a stick man and giving it to their mom in open house. Okay. No, it's a lot better than that. No, it's not. Compared to the creator of the universe. The cross is confirmed by the supernatural power of God. We're coming to the end here. Paul said, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders to the power of the Spirit of God. See, signs and wonders confirm Christ. It doesn't confirm me. God heals someone. It, wasn't a, a, it, it has no confirmation on the instrument that was used at all. At all. In fact, I have prayed for people who have gotten healed, and I was not in a good place. There was no reflection on me. It's what Jesus did. Where's the boasting then? Paul said, there is none. The only one who has bragging rights is Jesus. Lastly, and the most important, the cross reveals to us the love of God. God loves you. How do you know, Bob? Because God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We got this weird thing in the church and the weird thing is this. He loves sinners, but once we become a saint, he's a little impatient with us. Not quite, not, quite, uh, not quite in love with us like he is the new children. The new children he really loves. But his older children, the elders, no, he doesn't quite love them as much. Really? You ever heard this? I don't go to church because there's so many hypocrites in it. <laughs> yeah, they're hypocrites, Sure. These are people trying to become better people. These are people trying to follow Jesus. These are people falling on their face, but they're getting up and they're still trying. People who are opening their hearts to change. And we're going to call them hypocrites while other people just justify their lifestyle. It is a horrible false accusation against the church. Jesus loves you. It's one thing to know that conceptually. It's another thing to know it, to take it into yourself in Revelation. And so I want to pray for you today. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for Kauai Bible Church. And I've known this church, Lord, I don't know how many years now. Watched it go through a number of seasons. But Lord, you love this church. The mere fact that it stands today. The mere fact it's passed through hands today. It's faced storms today. It's faced accusations today. It has faced challenges. You love this church because you loved it before it was ever conceived because you love the sinners in it that you went to the cross for. You love them. 
And you're full of a church of people being changed from the inside out, being transformed, coming to the end of themselves and their limitations so that your power can be seen to plant churches in unreached people group regions of the world, in the Amazon and, and down in Argentina and other places to, to extend the kingdom of God where Christ is not named. They have great faith, Lord, and you love it. And let them always know, I pray, that they would say with declaration, the Lord is our helper. He is our provider. He is our provision. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He's the one who sanctifies us. He's changing us from the inside out. And because of that, he will build the church. The fruit of this church will be the, pro the product of his power and of his grace. It's about you, Lord, so that in all things, Jesus, you will be glorified. So, Lord, help us not to beat ourselves up today because we don't do this well and that well. But, Lord, let us rejoice today that, Lord, because our limitations are what they are, you can work a mighty miracle through us because we're going to let you do it because we're going to lay our life at your feet. We're going to call out to you. We're going to embrace you because, Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.